0: Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 159 with Anna Voloshina.
1: Uh, One of the tools to control people, if you can control their diet, you can control their minds, if you can, like, they wanted to put their own narrative, they did not want countries to have, like, the republics to have their own identity. Uh, The identity for everyone should be, we are from the USSR. We love our communist party. We love our leader and we are all equal. So nobody was allowed to eat better, at least commoners could not eat uh, any different from like the people from one city in Ukraine to the city in Georgia, to the city in Uzbekistan. And everything was so standardized. They wanted to control every single aspect of people's life and food was just one of the aspects
0: this is the chefs without restaurants podcast with your host chris speer each week i'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry if you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and org and.org and on facebook instagram and twitter at chefs without restaurants now enjoy the show Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. So we are coming into one of my favorite seasons. Fall is my favorite season weather-wise, but it is also cookbook season. And today I have my first cookbook author of this fall. This week I'm speaking with Anna Voloshina. She's the author of the book Boudmo, which will be coming out on September 27th. I was fortunate to receive an advanced copy of this prior to our conversation, and I have to say, it is a fantastic book. Anna was born and raised in the Ukraine and lived there until she was 21 and has since moved to San Francisco. Right now, as everyone knows, there's a terrible war going on in the Ukraine. Russia is violently trying to take over control, and it has been going on for months at this point. Anna still has family there. Her mom currently is living with her in San Francisco, but as of our recording today, she's getting ready to head back there tomorrow. So my thoughts will be with her, but she still has, you know, most of her family over there. Her new book is a cookbook about Ukrainian cooking. So we started out by talking about her background. I really want to get some history. I am not really knowledgeable about the Ukraine or you know, much of what's going on in that section of the world. So it was really important for me to kind of understand where she came from, what her life was like. Um, But also, you know, we want to talk about food. So I wanted to kind of find out what it was that she loves about Ukrainian cuisine. Since moving to the U.S., she started blogging and was, you know, been sharing recipes on her website for a couple of years now. That led to her doing some food photography and, you know, then she got to the point where she decided she wanted to put out a cookbook. So here we are. So if you're interested in hearing her story, learning a little bit about the Ukraine, you know, getting some insight as to kind of what's going on right now with the war, but also learning about Ukrainian cooking and Ukrainian food. One of the terrible things when, you know, Russia had taken over initially, they wanted all the countries in the Soviet Union to kind of have a unified cuisine and culture. And so many of those republics lost their independence in many ways. And one of which is food and cooking. So the food was kind of homogenous across the USSR. So it's really great to see people like Anna bringing those things back, you know, talking about borscht being a Ukrainian dish. Uh, You know, I always think of it as a Russian dish her book comes out on September 27th. We will link that in the show notes. One of the things I thought was really impressive was that she photographed all of the dishes for her cookbook. It's a beautiful cookbook. And I know often there's a lot of styling that goes into, I mean, I guess I don't know personally, but I know that there is a lot of styling that goes into these things. And here hear that she actually styled and shot all these dishes herself for the book, I think is an amazing feat and makes it all that more impressive. You can check out a lot of her work on Instagram and her website as well. And if you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, I'm at Chefs Without Restaurants. And I say this almost every week, but go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find all of our hot links. You'll be able to connect to our private Facebook group where we're helping other entrepreneurs build and grow their business through a sense of community. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter. And also, you can find out how to join our database of chefs, where we pass along uh, referrals if you're a personal chef or caterer or food truck and looking to pick up gigs. So check that out. It's chefswithoutrestaurants.org. And as always, the show will be coming right up after our word from this week's sponsor, the United States Personal Chef Association. Over the past 30 years, the world of the personal chef has grown in importance to fulfill those dining needs. While the pandemic certainly upended the restaurant experience, it allowed personal chefs to close that dining gap. Central to all of that is the United States Personal Chef Association. Representing nearly 1,000 chefs around the U.S. and Canada, USPCA provides a strategic backbone to those chefs that includes liability insurance, training, communications, certification, and more. It's a reassurance to consumers that the chef coming into their home is prepared to offer them an experience with their meal. USPCA provides training to become a personal chef through our preparatory membership. Looking to showcase your products or services to our chefs and their clients? Partnership opportunities are available. Call Angela today at 1-800-995-2138, extension 705, or email her at a-p-r-a-t-h-e-r at uspca.com for membership and partner info. Hey, Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I have a copy of your upcoming cookbook and it looks great and I can't wait to talk to you about it.
1: Oh my God. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to share about my book.
0: Is it wild to you to think that you're going to have like an actual physical book that's going to be out there in the world?
1: Yes. And I just got my first copy and I still cannot believe probably it will be very surreal to see it on the shelf in some random cookbook store.
0: Yeah. It's so cool. I don't have my own book, but I was in a compilation book a couple of years ago and I, you know, I can still go in like a Barnes and Noble and pull a physical book off the shelf. And it's so wild to open it up and see me and a recipe in there. It's so cool. You know, like No matter what else I do in my life, I was in a book.
1: Wow. What was the book?
0: The book is called Knives and Ink. It's actually a book about chefs and their tattoos. And it was put together by an artist and a publisher. So it's actually not a picture of me. You send in Uh, A photo of you with your tattoo and this artist draws it in her style so it's illustrated and then you get to have uh, a recipe in the book so that was really neat so there's a lot of other chef friends of mine who are in the book and it was kind of a cool experience
1: oh that's cool
0: so I want to start the show kind of talking about your background and growing up you were born and raised in the Ukraine can you talk a little bit about life growing up and what it was like there
1: uh, of course. So I was born in the southern part of Ukraine in a very small town called Snehurivka. So it was a pretty sleepy town, uh, maybe 10,000 people. Um, I grew up eating a lot and going to farmers markets at least once a week. So it was so early on I was introduced to this wonderful produce. And uh, in the south, uh, southern part, we have... I think the best produce in Ukraine and maybe the best in Europe. So we grow grow our own tomatoes, uh, amazing watermelons, melons, cucumbers, like whatever you think of. We are growing it in Ukraine, and especially around my towns, we were surrounded by fields of sunflowers and weed, and these huge fields of watermelons. So I know my produce well, and um, my family cooks a lot. So it was. All the time, like family gatherings with a lot of food, um, a bunch of family members, a bunch of friends. So it was all about eating, cooking and getting together pretty much.
0: And I didn't even really realize how big of a country it is. You know, it's been a while since I was in school and, you know, you kind of studied geography. And when, you know, when I was in school, it was still like the USSR and you kind of picture this whole thing on the map. Right. But it's is it like the second biggest country in Europe?
1: Uh, after Russia, yes. Wow. So if you consider Russia Europe, because it's uh, sometimes it's not because it's it's so big and it's li- it lies in uh, part of the Central Asia and Europe, and it's like so uh, a lot of um, organizations consider Ukraine the largest uh, completely European country, the largest one.
0: So there's quite a variety of climates and also produce.
1: So uh, we had all four seasons. We had blazingly hot summers and pretty cold winters. And uh, every year it was different. Some winters were very, very mild with rains and a lot of mud, I would say. And the next couple of years you had the snowstorms. So I remember growing up uh, and we had snow days and we had so much snow that it was like three feet tall. But then the next five years, we had only mud. So it's very uh, unpredictable in Ukraine. And we'll always have a saying, and if the sun will not burn our crops, then the rain will drown them. So uh, just like, it's like that with, you know, farmer's life, you're constantly fighting with weather and nature. Uh, But yeah, summers were very hot. The seasons were pretty long. Uh, So we had long uh, summer season with a bunch of crops and a bunch of like growing stages. So uh, we were lucky to have that. But during the winter, we basically didn't have anything that was growing, no fresh deal, no fresh cucumbers. So everything you preserved, that was the stuff you ate, especially during 90s, because there was not a lot of uh, produce coming in. From abroad, because Ukraine was such a poor country after the USSR collapsed, and people were just relying on uh, their own little gardens and uh, the stuff they preserved or the stuff they can uh, store in their root cellars.
0: I love preservation. Um, I don't do enough of it, but like we have like a basic small garden at my house. Uh, But it is kind of satisfying to be able to crack open a jar of something in the dead of winter and still feel like you've got a little bit of summer.
1: Absolutely. This is probably my favorite thing of all, is just go to a root cellar and pick a jar and open it and just enjoy. And the fun fact, in Ukraine, nobody labels the jars and don't ask me why. And I, I never realized how silly that was, like not labeling jars. And then I came here and everything is labeled. And you know which jam is raspberry and which one is strawberry. In Ukraine, you just pick a jar of jam and hope that you guessed uh, and got whatever you wanted to get.
0: So I guess you have to be a little flexible in whatever you're making. You're planning on making something with a raspberry jam and you don't get raspberry. So you just kind of have to wing it.
1: For sure. Like, I think uh, Ukrainian cooks are very flexible.
0: Well, what brought you to the United States? You came over when you were 21.
1: Yeah, uh, my husband's job. He started a startup and got acquired. And the, the company brought us to the United States. Uh, and we, we lived in Palo Alto for... A few years and then we moved to san francisco and i think this is the best place for me i fell in love instantly and i love the produce i struggle a little bit at the beginning because i couldn't find my favorite tomatoes and i'm like whoa what's happening and then i discovered farmers markets and i found my uh favorite farmers and life uh (laughs) life getting better
0: so is there a ukrainian community there in san francisco
1: uh, we have a large, um, uh, community of Ukrainians here. Uh, I have, uh, a lot of friends, uh, since it's like the, um, Bay Area is so large, uh, everyone kind of lives in different cities, but we get together at pop-up dinners. I host a bunch of Ukrainian cooking classes or pop-ups. So we get together, we spend time together. So yeah. And we don't have, unfortunately, any Ukrainian restaurant, like Maybe a couple, but it was marketed as Eastern European restaurants before. And now this year, they suddenly became Ukrainian restaurants because they don't want to be associated with Russia at all. So we have just a couple of those and a few grocery stores where you can buy Eastern European produce. But other than that, I think it's a lot of just personal connections and just like Ukrainian barbecues and uh, small gatherings.
0: And this is obviously, I mean, such a tough time. I have no connection to any of this, but I'm sure for you with what's going on in the Ukraine right now with Russia, it's got to be incredibly difficult. Do you still have family and, and people over there?
1: Yes, everyone is there. Uh, it It is so devastating. Uh, so my whole family had to... Uh, leave their houses, our tiny city became occupied by Russian army. So my whole family escaped, thanks God, because right now nobody can leave the city and they live without water, electricity, and uh, uh, any actually uh, produce that comes and medicine that comes um, outside of the uh, of the city it, it is incredibly tough for them and I'm so grateful for my family that they listened to me and they laughed because at first uh, they nobody wanted to leave but then I'm like I was hysterical and I said no 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 you're leaving it is so dangerous and they left and uh, everyone now is in Odessa and they everyone is in, in the same city they live in different places but they like have dinners together and that makes me very happy and my mom right now is with us and she's been with us for five months here in the United States. And she's going back tomorrow because my younger sister is in Ukraine and she's 20, 22. So she's not a baby, but still uh, for my mom, she's like, oh, my little girl. So she's going there to be with her. And uh, after that, she will come back probably here and spend a couple more months with us.
0: Well, that's great that she came over and, you know, wishing her the best. Hopefully she has safe travels and everything goes well. It must be great to see, you know, even where I live, like our community it just seems like there's so much support for the Ukraine. Even people who, you know, don't even really know much about it. Um, it just seems like there's overwhelming support. How does that make you feel?
1: Uh, very emotional, to be honest. Uh, the day that the war started... Uh, I got a message from a very famous chef in San Francisco. And he's like, they are bombing Ukraine. Uh, how is your family? Are they safe? And I'm like reading this message. And I cannot believe. I'm like, no, no, no. Nobody's bombing Ukraine. It's impossible. I opened the news and nothing is there. And I then I opened um my Instagram. And another chef uh, from Ukraine, she's a very famous cookbook author her name is Ola hercules she is posting like russia invaded ukraine and i i thought yes this is real this is happening i called my family we were constantly in touch nobody believed me in ukraine like i called everyone and like they're like no uh but then a couple of hours later everybody <laughs> understood that this is real and i started posting on my instagram and like sharing links where to donate and support Ukrainian army and Ukrainian people, because I instantly knew that Ukraine will need all the support it can get. And a bunch, I don't know how many thousands of dollars we got the first day, because I couldn't keep track of it, but it was over, the, like I don't know, tens of thousands, thousands of dollars right away the first day people were just sending money to me sending money directly it was crazy and then um, some chefs uh, started this hashtag cook hashtag cook for ukraine and everyone who used that hashtag hosted a class or bake sale or some sort of uh, event and uh, uh, raised money to send to ukraine and at least 20 people from the Bay Area, people that I know or follow on Instagram hosted a class in the next seven days and uh, transferred the proceeds to Ukraine. And uh, we had a bakeathon organized by amazing Six Dutchess Farm, and we raised twenty five thousand dollars online just from one uh bake where we had like eight chefs from different countries and different uh, states of uh to participate and just share their recipes so the support was overwhelming every michelin star <laughs> restaurant in in uh, san francisco seemed like participated and like supported in some way either by posting on their social media or hosting a dinner and uh, a bunch of chefs here came together and uh, uh, hosted very expensive um, pop-up dinners. And one time they raised fa- uh, $50,000 and uh, one of others events raised over $100,000. So it was wow. just so impressive. And I hosted a bunch of events classes and dinners myself um so and everybody supported me and they said whatever you need do you need people do you need a venue do you need produce what do you need we will support farmers donated their produce my friends in wine business donated their wines it's it's still pretty much going a lot of people i was afraid that people will forget but they don't or they still are actively engaging maybe not as active as the first month or the second months but it's still pretty much uh, on top of the everybody's minds
0: so has this really sparked an interest in kind of all things ukraine like Especially food and cooking, have you seen an interest in people wanting to learn more about the food since it's kind of been top of mind?
1: Definitely. First of all, I started my cooking classes and uh, dinners a few years ago, and it was hard to convince people to come and try Ukrainian food. They wanted some connection because everybody knew uh, USSR, and they wanted and they needed an explanation: what is Ukraine? Because Not a lot of people knew the country and knew the food. So I had to explain a lot. And I had to say like, oh, borscht is a Ukrainian dish. Pelmeni is a Russian dish. And like nobody cared. They wanted to taste uh, Soviet food or Russian food. Everything was Russian food before. Now people know, oh, this is Ukrainian food. And I see the interest. I see the willing to learn and understand why Ukraine is fighting. And food culture and politics are very much close, I think. In my opinion, food is politics. It's very political. And uh, people now are willing to put some effort to learn about Ukrainian food, Ukrainian culture, and Ukrainian history. So, yeah. And we we, we have a lot of Ukrainian authors But Okay, not a lot, but we have some very prominent Ukrainian authors and uh, people are willing to buy their books. For example, Ole Hercules. uh, And we actually, fun fact, we uh, were born just maybe 50 kilometers, maybe six six kilometers apart. We've never met. And she moved to the United Kingdom and started her career there. And I moved uh, to the United States and started uh, talking about Ukrainian food here. And now we both see growing interest uh, to our for our cult- culture.
0: Yeah, I had found her online, like, even before, you know, the war and the past couple months. Like, she was making beautiful food, and I was just interested. And she's got quite a following on Instagram.
1: So her following grew immensely uh, because she... Uh, she started posting about war in Ukraine, uh, and another chef actually from Russia, uh, and she's friends with her, Alisa, Alisa Timoshkina, and they started this hashtag Cook for Ukraine. They started posting, they raised over one and a half uh, million pounds to help Ukraine. Uh, they are such a great advocates, and I understand that Alisa is a Russian chef and Russia is an enemy, but she supports Ukraine. She against of this invasion and she's, she's fully with our people. And, uh, I'm so grateful for their collaboration. And they just inspired so many people in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine to fight, to donate, to volunteer. And they are just amazing human beings.
0: You know, going back to what you said, like food is politics, you you can't really disconnect a food and its cuisine and culture from that. I mean, you have to look at history, geography, and all of that. I mean, the country is so huge, you're bordered by so many different countries now, and over, you know, period of time there was lots of occupations and wars and so forth. And I think you did a really great job in the cookbook touching on that, giving people a very brief overview if they're not kind of familiar with the the background of the Ukraine.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, traveling through Ukraine you will see how the food changes and Closer to the Russian border, you will see more Russian dishes, more Soviet-style dishes. And closer to the western part, where we have uh, Poland and Hungary, and uh, that part was under Commonwealth of Lithuania. So they they feel more European. They have a lot of European dishes, uh, a bunch of European small uh, bakeries and coffee shops. And you cannot find that uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine. And you can tell when you travel to the northern part, there is a big connection to Polish and uh, uh, Belarusian kitchen as well. So a lot of potato dishes, uh, lots of cabbage dishes. And in the southern part of Ukraine, where I'm from, and Crimea as well, you will find Turkish influence, Greek influence, and uh, more focus on uh, seasonality because we were so fortunate to get this phenomenal produce uh, during the spring and summer. So you travel and you see how politics influenced the cuisine and how different countries left their marks on our Ukrainian food.
0: So you've got a cookbook coming out and you've been doing food writing, kind of blogging, some food photography. How did that all start? When did you start kind of putting recipes out there and working in the food world?
1: Uh, it all started when I came to the United States. I was not allowed to work here. So I was on uh, H4 visa. And uh, for about four or five years, I was not able to work legally here. So I decided I need to do something. And cooking was uh, was something I knew. And uh, it always brought me a sense of comfort and belonging. And I decided, okay, so I will just cook invite friends over it will help me to break the ice and meet new people and that's what i did and a lot of people started asking me for recipes and especially since uh, there were not a lot of uh, ukrainian recipes out there so i decided okay i will just post for them like i will write recipes and send them and they like oh no can you post it somewhere so it will be easy to find and i can share it with my mom or whatever And I started doing that. And then I I thought, okay, photos are very, very important because people don't understand. And if I can put the photo, they will see the dish. They will know how to shake their dumplings or they will see the uh, consistency of the batter. So I started doing that and it was not good. Photos were horrible. Oh my God. And then I decided to put some effort into that as well. And uh, I loved it. I loved taking photos of food. And <laughs> I don't like to take photos of people or nature or anything like that. I only like photos of food and produce. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, but this is a fact. And I started uh, taking photos. And when they got better, I got my first uh, job offer a uh, company. Uh, a startup in san francisco they asked me to come and take photos for their app and i started working with restaurants and chefs and uh, soon enough a bunch of different startups started calling me and asking to work for them and i ended up taking photos for most of the food startups in san francisco i loved it and i met a lot of uh, chef friends through those gigs and uh, it was it was a very wise decision. Like looking back, now I understand that taking photos uh, for my own cookbook was the best thing I could do because I controlled the whole process. And uh, to be honest, I saved a lot of money taking photos myself.
0: Oh, wow. You took all those photos in the book?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Oh, they're beautiful. I love, you know, not only the technical uh, photos, but like the styling, the way that you put it together. It's a beautifully shot book. I had no idea. Thank you. I, I, I don't think there's many um, cookbook authors who do their own photography.
1: Thank you so much. I was very lucky uh, that my publisher allowed uh, my team to get the full creative control. So all of the uh, everything considering this book was created by a very small team of uh, females here in San Francisco. And the final edits were made in New York, but everything else was made here in San Francisco. It's a local cookbook. And I took all the photos, I styled styled everything myself, and uh, I had a bunch of recipe testers uh, uh, all over the United States. And uh, uh, it was probably the best uh, part of the book to get the feedback from all of those people. But yeah, other than that, it, it is a pretty local cookbook.
0: Wow. Well, it is beautiful. So, I want to talk about that a little bit. How did you decide to do a cookbook? I mean, was it just a natural progression from kind of doing the blogging? But, like, what solidified, like, hey, I'm going to make a cookbook?
1: Uh, I think it was a natural progression, for sure. But, you know, every chef or every home cook, for sure, uh, has like this secret dream of becoming a cookbook author because they think okay like what can be cooler than having my own cookbook and like you said earlier this is forever like this is something you will have for the rest of your life this is a fun project and especially usually it's very personal projects for a cook like myself because you will put your family recipes and uh, the whole world will know about your like Grandma's Famous Recipe. I never made this book about my grandma because uh, I'm not Julia Child. As, <laughs> as you know, the saying, nobody is interested in your grandma unless <laughs> it's Julia Child. Uh, but still, seeing my family recipes, my the recipes from my home country and uh, some uh, modern twist I made it is, it is so satisfying and like holding the book. It's just the ama- amazing feeling. And I know that a lot of uh, cooks, they have this dream, but I just put a lot of work and made, made, made it happen. I took a course at Stanford and they have, um, now they, I think they're offering this course online, uh, cookbook writing course. And I met an amazing mentor, Tori Ricci, uh, she is a teacher and she uh i think at least once a year she uh she, she, she teaches this course and it was such a, an amazing experience and i love the, i love the whole process i loved everything about uh this the process of writing cookbooks and i think a lot of people just have this dream in their minds but when time comes to put the work in, they're like, oh, this is too much. And for me, it was, oh, no, 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 this is perfect.
0: Just blogging alone, I find overwhelming. And I've done that for like 15 years, but the process of like, you know, if I'm cooking for myself, my family, my friends, it's different when you know the recipe is going to be out there, you know, making sure everything's weighed, measured, all that. So it's actually good and people can follow it. But then throw in the photography and all that, thats a that's a lot. So it's, I think, a challenge not everyone is up for?
1: Definitely. And not a lot of people realize that until they just like start doing it. And then they're like, oh my God, it's it's a lot. And other than that, the, when the book is finished, you need to put a lot of work into marketing and PR. And uh, everybody's saying that, that 90% of uh, cookbook PR is on the author. And it's true. Uh, some people have this idea that the publishing house will take care of everything and they will provide you with their sources and they will provide you with some guidance and help but it will not be enough to make this book as successful as it needs to be to make money
0: well you're on my podcast so all of my (laughs) listeners need to go out and get on ordering this book uh the book is called how do you pronounce it is it budmo
1: yes perfect budmo yes
0: nice which roughly translates to cheers is that correct
1: Uh, It's used as cheers. It translates to let us be. And let us be, it's a broad meaning. It means let us be together, let us be in this moment, let us be healthy, and let us be uh, celebrating. It's a very cheerful word.
0: That's a really cool name for a book. So I've noticed you definitely do some, I don't know, fusion is kind of a dirty word, but you definitely put your own twists on some of these recipes. Like, this is not just a, a classic Ukrainian cookbook, correct?
1: Uh, correct. I have uh, a few very classic recipes, but most of the time I was inspired by our beautiful produce here in California. And I wanted to adopt Ukrainian recipes and make them lighter and healthy, slightly healthier, because uh, you cannot make uh, vareniki, which are stuffed uh dumplings healthier you cannot do that but you can try to make them uh lighter more modern because ukrainian cuisine did not get enough of attention uh and did not get the development um uh, that french cuisine got just because we were a part of ussr and during those dark times no cuisine was developing it was just standardized dishes uh everything uh, by the guideline of the party Uh, communist party. And uh, it was not a lot of creative freedom and uh, nobody could go abroad and study. No chef could travel and train at a French restaurant and can come back to Ukraine and implement the knowledge. So uh, right now I feel like Ukrainian cuisine has just started to spread its wing and Ukrainian chefs are uh, willing to experiment and put Ukrainian cuisine on a map. And that's what I want to do. I want to keep playing with the recipes and discover old and forgot, maybe even forgotten recipes uh, and forgotten because of the USSR rule and make them modern and fresh and interesting again.
0: That's so bizarre to me. I, You know, in your book, you had said they replaced all the restaurants with like these identical, government-run kind of, uh, what was the word, canteens, I think, in the book. Like, why would you want to do that? I don't understand that wanting to have such a diverse food uh, that could be represented to just kind of erase all that seems really bizarre to me. Uh,
1: No, it's actually uh, one of the tools to control people. If you can control their diet you can control their minds if you can con- like they wanted to put their own narrative they did not want countries to have like the republics to have their own identity uh, the identity for everyone should be we are from the USSR we love our communist party we love our leader and we are all equal so nobody was allowed to eat better at least commoners could not eat Uh, any different from like the people from one city in ukraine to the city in georgia to the city in uzbekistan only the top level level of government could afford like this foreign produce or like olive oil was not a thing in ussr at all we only had two types of oil sunflower oil Uh, refined and unrefined. And actually, I would say it was unrefined sunflower oil for most of the time. And my mom said she only had refined sunflower oil when she was in her 20s, which, late 20s, which was already independent Ukraine. So it was like one type of oil, one type of butter, uh, margarine, that's it. And everything was so standardized. They wanted to control every single aspect of people's life and food was just one of the aspects
0: makes me really grateful for having been born here i don't think we always think about these kind of things and all the um, benefits we have to living in a free country you know a lot of people complain about their freedoms and their rights here in the u.s and i think we need to take a hard look at other countries to really realize uh, what our freedom means
1: yeah uh the world is so big and it is a lot, a lot of things we don't know and we don't think about. But when we start traveling and discovering the world, we start understanding the country and the place we live in a little better and definitely appreciate it more.
0: So when someone gets your book, what do you recommend they start making? Like, do you have a couple entry recipes that you would say these are kind of give you a good overview of the cuisine or just things that you really love?
1: Uh, I have a few recipes. Like, okay, I love all of my recipes, but some of, of them I love a little more. Uh, for example, my mom's my mom's spicy and sour tomatoes, I love them to death. And I make them literally every week just because we, we eat them so fast. And every time it's two pounds. Uh, and we eat that two pounds in a week or whether we have friends or like we'll, we can just kill it, the whole jar by ourselves like three people can kill a jar of those tomatoes in a week for sure uh that's the first one and the best thing about those tomatoes is that you can make them during winter time and just make sure to get good campari tomatoes and they will be almost as delicious as the one you pickle in summer the other dish is Definitely borscht because this is such a quintessential Ukrainian food. It is a comforting food, and a lot of people heard of borscht or tried borscht, but I think I managed to put these three recipes which I love the most. One is uh, green borscht, uh, which is wonderful, it's full of green sorrel. The other one is traditional red borscht, but I twisted it a little bit and I made it vegetarian and I added a lot of uh, chanterelles and uh, prunes, which balance the flavor and make it very interesting and umami. And the third one is cold borscht. So cold borscht probably will be a little bit cold for the fall season because the book will come out uh, September 27th. But uh, vegetarian borscht, I think, is the right way to go. And I also have a recipe for Ukrainian garlic bread, which is called pampushki. And it's something we usually eat with uh, borscht, always with borscht. And I don't think we. Oh, thank you. Yes, and sour cream. Uh, Add sour cream to your borscht. Never skip sour cream. That's my advice.
0: I think the tendency (laughs) with um, uh, other cuisines is to like I don't know Americanize it. Like you see a recipe that calls for like ten cloves of garlic, and say like, oh well, maybe I'm only going to put two in there because that sounds like a lot, but. You know fighting that urge to do that like i i want to kind of follow that recipe at least the first time that i'm making a dish i've never made before
1: i need to be more disciplined disciplined with that because i i i don't know i i'm a little bit avd so I, my mind start, starts starts wondering and i'm like okay uh i i pretty much got the idea so <laughs> i will follow my idea not the recipe But in terms of garlic, I would put 10 cloves for sure. I'm not shy from you, shying away from using garlic.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to make those tomatoes. We have a garden that is just overrun with tomatoes right now. And I think I have all, and we have a lot of herbs. I think I have everything uh, on hand to make those tomatoes. So you think I should whip up a batch of those this afternoon? I'm not going to regret it.
1: Oh, oh my God, you will love it. And I will wait for your email with thank you note. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> you will love that recipe for sure. I ask you the one thing: don't eat it. Eat them in three days. Just wait for they let them sit in the fridge. Wait three days, and they will become so magical. Oh my god! I think you will love them.
0: I love tomatoes, so I I th- I do think waiting is going to be the hard part it's the same with salsa like we always make like you know mexican salsa with them and i want to like make it today and eat it tonight but i know that if i just let it sit a couple days it's going to be so much better
1: yeah patience is very important in cooking especially when you ferment something or pickle something that's the key to success
0: do you do a lot of homemade pickling and fermentation
1: I know people who do much more than I do, but yes, I do. I do my own sauerkraut. I do kimchi. I make uh, cucumbers, and I experiment with kvass recipes, not very successfully. <laughs> I need to uh, to find a good recipe uh, to start because I tried a bunch and I don't like the flavor. It's still not quite as good as I remembered uh, from my childhood. Maybe the yeasts are different. Maybe the bacterias in the air are not the same, and that's why I don't uh, like the flavor that much. But I'm still working. I have my hopes high. I also make my own cheese, and uh, the reason uh, is we have this wonderful Ukrainian, and it's not only Ukrainian, but it's, it's Eastern European soft and tangy fresh cheese called syr uh, in Ukraine or tvarog, in poland you can get it from eastern european market but it was frozen before and it's like mustard use. the flavor is not the same so i do it with whole milk and we have wonderful local whole milk so i do it at home and it takes maybe 20 minutes of active cooking time and uh, The whole process takes 24 hours, but it's mostly sitting there and waiting for its time. So just active cooking time is very little and it's easy to make. So I I make it almost every week because a lot of Ukrainian dishes are centered around that type of cheese, desserts and uh, savory dishes. And we use it as a filling for our dumplings. So it's something I absolutely have to have in my uh, fridge.
0: And you have a recipe for that in the book, don't you?
1: Yes, I wanted to add it just because a lot of uh, recipes need this cheese. And I know that people from different states might not get the same access to uh, Eastern European markets. So for those who are adventurous enough to try this recipe, and it's very easy, I assure you, uh, I put it out out there just because uh, if they want to try some of the dishes, they would have to make it or buy it and i am convinced that the homemade version is always better
0: i think people get skeptical with leaving dairy out you know uh it seems like maybe a little not that there's anything wrong with it i understand but i think people tend to not want to make whether it be um creme fraiche or buttermilk or any of that stuff like leaving dairy out for you know 24 to 36 hours
1: Yeah, in Ukraine, it's different. In Ukraine, we use sour milk for a lot of things. And our sour milk, of course, is different from the local sour milk because you basically cannot make, because the milk is so pasteurized, you cannot make it sour uh, unless you add uh, some bacteria, like kefir or a couple of uh, tablespoons of uh, yogurt. So you need to help and boost the, those bacterias and let them work in Ukraine. If you will leave your milk for a couple of days, it will get naturally sour, will be delicious. And you can eat it with a spoon or use it uh, for your uh, baking or my husband just likes to eat it as, as is. So um, it's something I grew up with. And I know that people are struggling because it's not a par- part of the culture, but this is a live organism. You add these bacteria, they are working, they're doing good stuff there, they're like how they're having their own party and uh, nothing bad is happening. There is no mold, there's just life like in sourdough.
0: Fermented foods are delicious. They're some of my very favorite foods.
1: Yeah, same here.
0: So what is next? Are you gonna continue doing the blogging and all this? Um I know the book's not even out yet, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm already ready to start working on my second book. Uh, I have some ideas. I need to discuss it with my editor. I want to tell stories about Eastern European culture and food and possibly travel there. And uh, I would love to do a cooking show or traveling show just to introduce these amazing parts of the world that people are not focusing on. Because everybody knows Greece, but not as many people know Croatia or Hungary. Hungary is a very famous cuisine, but still we know some dishes and we don't know a lot of uh, uh, rustic and regional dishes or uh, people don't know Hungarian wine except for Tokai and there is so much to explore the hospitality in that countries are crazy and there are a lot of uh, different feasts and interesting moments and i would love to tell those stories i want to tell stories of uh, other cuisines but still the cuisines i grew up with and i feel related to
0: for so many years we've really as a at least in the us really recognized these Western European cuisine, you know, let's say French, Italian kind of is like the pinnacle for culinary. And now there seems to be such an interest in other cuisines that maybe weren't as appreciated or recognized before. And I think that's really cool. So I would love to see something like that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I hope it will happen next year. Uh, I will start putting together a proposal and we'll see what happens. But meanwhile, I will keep writing about Ukrainian food I wrote a couple of uh, stories and they will be published soon. I cannot announce them yet, but follow me on Instagram at Anna Voloshina Cooks and you will see uh, the announcement. And I hope people will slowly fall in love with that part of the world and will be willing to try the cuisine. I think everybody's already have the interest, but now they need great recipes and resources to dive in.
0: Well, you are the place to go. I think people are going to love this cookbook. So I'm really excited for you. I can't wait for it to come out uh, and for people to find it.
1: Thank you so much for your support. I hope it will be exactly like that and that we'll have many more projects to come.
0: Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we get out of here today?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, As always, I finish all of my uh, interviews by saying that the war in Ukraine is still actively going on. And please don't forget about our country. Please support. Please share. Read the news. I know we're all tired and we all want this war to end. But until Ukraine will win, this war will not end. And we are fighting for our freedom. We are fighting for our culture. We are fighting for the right to call Borscht Ukrainian. And we are fighting to leave our lives as we want to leave them and to build our country as we want to build it. So please support. It's a very important war, and uh, everybody wants it to end as soon as possible. Hopefully, that's what will happen soon. And uh, Ukraine feels the support, and everyone I know are so glad to see People in the United States cooking Ukrainian food, people in Canada cooking Ukrainian food. And we feel the support and it keeps us going. Thank you for that. And please keep doing.
0: Well, you have the full support of us here uh, at the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast and with our community. And if there's anything we can ever do for you, um, please let us know.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And the book comes out on what date?
1: September 27th. People can pre-order the book from uh, Rizzoli.com, Amazon, Omnivore Books, uh, from pretty much even Target and Walmart. So uh, get your book. I would say, please, uh, if you have a local cookbook store, pre-order from them and support your local businesses. But if you live in Canada or uh, Europe, order from Amazon, because I believe this is the only way to order the book at this moment but hopefully we'll start working with more local cookbook stores when the cookbook is out.
0: Fantastic. Well, all of this will be linked up in the show notes so people will also know how to find the book. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. And to all of our Chefs Without Restaurants listeners, this has been Chris, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and Chef Database. The community's free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.